AM 1600 KIVA, BQ.FM, rockandtalk.com. Merry Christmas, everybody. We're with Jeffrey Candelaria. Great talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. And a special Christmas edition here. He uh, decided to do the work, and I appreciate that about Jeff because, uh, you know what, we got to continue to work all the time, and that's uh, whatever day it is. I mean, Christmas is a big season, no doubt, but many of you are listening and tuning into the radio today and, uh, you know, tuning in for your regular programming because for many other people it's also just another day, just another Saturday uh, as well. So we want to keep all of our listeners informed. And uh, we'll have Jeffrey Candelaria with Straight Talk. Take it away. Thank you again, Eddie Aragon, and uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. And I am saying Merry Christmas. Yes, absolutely. Today is Saturday, December 22nd. Thank you again, Eddie Aragon, for working. uh, The 25th, Jeff. 25th, that's right. Well, actually, according to the the Julian calendar, and if you also mix in the Gregorian calendar, it's actually... The year of our Lord, 2025, I believe. So there's like a three-year kind of mix-up in the mathematics, but we'll we'll talk about that in another show. But anyway, to Eddie Aragon's point, we here at Kiva 1600 AM work and view work as something that we value, we take pride in, and uh, we don't let a little thing like Christmas get in the way of uh, bringing to you good content and good live radio on Kiva 1600 AM. Jeffrey Candelaria, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. And with me is a frequent guest, and when I use the word frequent, I mean he's on typically every quarter, and he will be a soon-to-be sponsor of Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. He's my accountant and somebody that my wife and I are very reliant on when we have questions not just about finance, but really what we call socioeconomic trends, because those socioeconomic trends absolutely affect the market, supply, demand, inflation issues, and the like. My guest on Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria on Christmas Day is Eddie Fernandez. He's a CPA, PFS, a special uh, designation, and again, financial planner, investment advisor, representative with Voya, financial advisors, and also the co-owner of Legacy Financial Group. Welcome to Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Thank you, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. And I also want to say Merry Christmas to everybody. Feliz Navidad and a prospero año with the upcoming new year. Absolutely. And what we want to do for the next uh, 58 minutes or so is review uh, the economy really for 2021 here in our world of New Mexico and our country and then uh, try to do a little portending and forecasting as to what we think uh, the next year is going to look like in terms of our our economic uh, situation. Keep in mind, folks, those of you that aren't attached to a financial advisor, it's still important that I believe you tune into this show, particularly today, because financial trends affect your everyday life, whoever you is. So let's start out with uh, the overall market. Uh, the Dow, S&P, NASDAQ. And by the way, talk a little bit about what the designation between Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ kind of are. Because I think sometimes when we talk finance and economics, not just on Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria, but we assume people understand all that nomenclature and how it actually works. So if you don't mind, can you kind of break down the market 
a little bit, Eddie? Sure. So, you know, when we refer to the markets, right, and when people talk about the 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 big things with the market, right, the the Dow is really kind of the the uh, the, the standard. Um, and it represents basically industrial stocks, right? It's the it's it's the it's the number that most people pay attention to. But we got to remember, it's only made up of so many stocks, right? It's not the the biggest, broadest um, uh, aspect of it. Then you have the S and P five hundred, which is probably more reflective of how our economy is actually doing. It represents the top five hundred companies in the United States. And then you have the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ tends to be more um, technologically heavy, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. And, and so where we started, right, the Dow for year to date um, uh, through yesterday is up 17%. Started at 30,223.89. And yesterday's close, it was 35,492.7. That's a 17% increase. And by the way, when financial analysts and uh, what I call you as an economic sociologist and financial planner, when you guys talk, I think we generally prefer using percentages as opposed to a number like 30,003, because I don't think the average person, uh, no offense, I think the average person is obtuse to this kind of number, but I think even the average person can understand a percentage decrease or increase. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's really interesting, right? Because we have to remember the news media is going to end up um, portraying things based off of what's going to sell. Hey, the Dow went down uh, 800 points today. Well, it might be a 1% decline. Yeah. That's not very big. Well, very for cool. one day, it can be big, right? But it's not a really big deal. So, but I agree with you, right? Percentages are usually higher, and or I'm sorry, are, are usually most. Uh, it's what impacts people, or can people can yeah. understand a little bit easier. But that's interesting. I'd never thought about it in those terms, and that's why you're the expert in this world. That it's sensationalistic to use were, uh, numbers like thirty thousand, twenty-one thousand, whatever, because it sensationalizes whether it's increasing or decreasing, so that people tune in more. That's interesting. I never really understood the dramatics associated with such a, uh, you know, kind of a prosaic, uh, you know, number like thirty thousand percentage increase attached to the Dow. Yeah, and, and you know, it's real interesting, right? Because when when you break down the basics of the markets. They're actually very boring, right? It's it's kind of like in in sports. Right? I I love football. It's about blocking and tackling, right? Yeah. The basics. The basics of the market are very very boring, and news media, especially financial markets, they have to bring something out, and that's why it's always a negative impact story that's potentially out there, and so big swings in the market. Uh, news reports love volatility in the markets because it's something that changes. Um, the S&P, so speaking of percentages, right, the S&P is up 23% yeah. year-to-date. That's huge. Yeah. And the NASDAQ is up 21%. So those are really, really big numbers that nobody really anticipated in a year of COVID, yeah. mind you. And in a year where the year 2021 is concluding with unprecedented inflationary manifestations, for example— um, according to objective metric analyses, beer, excuse me, for November alone, and we haven't integrated uh, December yet, food prices were up almost 7%. Uh, per, uh, transportation, in terms of if you want to buy a vehicle, up 31%, Eddie. 
and energy, probably the most staggering number because we all have to deal with heating our homes, up 33%. So notwithstanding those inflationary manifestations, the actual market, quote unquote, is up 20% or so as we conclude the year. You know, so how do we reconcile those two things? It's um, <laughs> A lot of it is, right, markets are going to be based off of performance of the actual companies themselves. Mm-hmm. Inflation has an impact, right? It, it doesn't have an immediate impact, but over time, if we keep inflation very, very high, it's going to have a, an impact on the purchasing power. So if we have very high inflation, that means I'm not able to go out and buy the discretionary things that I would like to do. Right. Right. And that's already impacted because of COVID, because for most of the year, most people couldn't go out and do things. So it, it's really kind of interesting. We're seeing right now that. Um, people are very eager to get out and do what they normally do. People's savings rates have increased significantly, mainly because they can't do anything or they're refusing to go out and do something. So people have a lot of cash available to them. Um, Discretionary personal income is up significantly, and that's an impact on how we can go out and spend our money. But when inflation, as we bring that back into the picture... That means that our dollar, what used to cost something uh, at a lower price, is now costing significantly more, and that's having a huge impact. You know, if uh, everybody has a price breakpoint, right, where they say, no, that's a little bit too expensive, that's what we think of from an inflationary perspective. Yeah. We devalue the dollar every time the government prints more money, and people need to understand that's why Manchin and— uh, the 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 uh, senator from Arizona and all fifty Republicans don't embrace the the new manifestation or the new incarnation of the Build Back Better, which is really social engineering, because the government will invariably print money uh, to to pay for some of these programs and so forth. Plus, they're going to tax corporations, which, by the way. Corporations will charge you more for their products if they have to pay more tax. But anyway, those those people that oppose the Build Back Better, a lot of the opposition, correct me if I'm wrong, is because that would would also, again, uh, exacerbate inflation because it would devalue the dollar. Is that fair? That's Part, that's fair? one of the one of the arguments. Right? One of the arguments. Is, yes, yeah. and so um, we've <laughs> over the last year, right? We've added what about. $5 trillion in, in stimulus spending. And some of that was actually needed, right? We needed to keep our economy rolling because government forced everybody to shut down, right? And so business really kind of came to a screeching halt. And that's why you saw a year and a half ago that the markets crashed, right? I mean, we went from, uh, you know, we were seeing about a 30% decline um, at once COVID hit because business just came to a screeching halt. Um the market has done so much better than what anybody actually anticipated, right? And that's why you're seeing these 17 23%, 21%, mainly because entities are a lot more profitable. Well, the profitability is expected to continue to rise because just like us as consumers, we haven't been able to go out and spend. Well, businesses are in the same boat, right? We have this huge supply chain and we hear the argument or the 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 discussions if you want to go christmas shopping go out on the ocean <laughs> you know because yeah. that's where all the supplies are yeah. you talked about vehicles and transportation they're so high right now for several reasons right 
We've got a major supply chain issue that um, we can't get parts. Computer chips, you can't get those in vehicles, yeah. right? And then you add on top of that a lot of the changes. You, you brought up energy, right? Um, the administration made some decisions that they said they're going to not uh, issue out new oil leases, right? Or they're putting moratoriums on fracking, on on getting oil. Well, a lot of that was done because of the thought of how it's going to impact global warming. Well, what we don't realize or understand is there's a lot of ways to do it safely and in, you know environmentally safe. But we the most people don't realize it's not just that we're putting gas in the vehicles. It's used to make everyday products that we use. Plastics, rubber, all, all these other things. You're right. Yeah. And if we think about it from the construction side, right, or everybody has houses. We all love running water, right? We love um, our sewers. We love our pipes. We love getting fresh drinking water. Well, oil, right, is used to make plastic. Yeah. And if we don't understand that side of it, that we need it for basic things, we're going to be in a major world. Yeah, my guest is uh, Eddie Fernandez. He's my CPA. He's a PFS. That's a special designation, right, Eddie? It is. It's a personal financial specialist. It's a designation that is only awarded to CPAs, certified public accountants, who practice personal financial planning. And the reason you're my CPA, and I'm not licking your boots here, but I'm saying this on Straight Talk with Jeffrey Kendler is because when I have a question about not just finances, but these trends, these these market trends, these consumer and demand, supply and demand kind of issues, I consult with you and you give me a, a very holistic answer you know, to these questions because in the final analysis, it's not just pe- uh, people being fixated with how the market's doing and what should I do with my 401k. I mean, it's so much bigger than that as we're beginning to dissect on this show. By the way, what is your contact information for our listeners? People can reach me in my office, 505-839-0224, or shoot me an email, efernandez at legacyfg.net. So a lot of this financial analysis and discussion, it's a little bit like playing golf. I took up golf about 20 years ago, and you actually swing with less power and and more fluidity and balance to make the ball go farther. I mean, the harder you try to hit a golf ball, generally, the less success you're going to have. It's almost like counterintuitive. You know, you swing down to get the golf ball to go up, things like that. So, so equating or attaching an understanding that supply and demand causes inflationary issues for the consumer, but yet some companies at the top are actually profiting more, which the market likes, and maybe that reflects why people in the market that are attached to that, you know, view it as as a positive. Yet the same at the same time, the average person living in Albuquerque, New Mexico is paying eight, you know, thirty-three percent more to heat their home. So it's almost counterintuitive, but yet there is that relationship. Yeah. There's one additional factor, right? We 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 heard that a lot of individuals were not coming back to work, right? Um, and, and there's a, there's a uh, <laughs> where did the word labor force go? Well, some of it is people were wanting to demand higher compensation, yeah. right? And, I mean, you go to, uh, I mean, you've seen all the help-wanted signs. 
they're paying people McDonald's even 15 bucks an hour, right? Yeah. You go stock at Walmart and, you know, prices are or wages are starting at 17 to 20 bucks an hour to go in stock. Uh, places have had to increase compensation just to be able to bring people in. And that's great for some of the individuals, but that also contributes to higher or increased inflation. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, we're paying more, right? That's got to go somewhere. So because I may, you know, I was char- used to be able to charge you three bucks for a hamburger or five bucks for a hamburger. Now I got to raise it up yeah. six, seven dollars an hour. And, per and, the, and, and that's what really frustrates me. Again, straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Merry Christmas. Eddie Fernandez is my guest. That's what frustrates me about the Albuquerque City Council and the governor. They're always espousing and, 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 and you know, embracing this. Oh, you know, we, we need to increase the minimum wage by, you know, $15 an hour, $20 an hour. Again, philosophically, almost morally perhaps, it sounds like a really good idea. But when you implement those policies back to your Joe's Taco Shop on Isleta Boulevard, when you have to pay those employees $15 an hour where before they were making 10 what do you think they're going to do? They're going to make that taco that was a dollar a $2 taco. So remember, folks, when when you espouse these policies that these donut eaters, you know, called politicians espouse, remember in the real world when that policy is implemented, what is going to be the unintended consequence? Yeah, there's there's going to be increased prices, and that's part of it. The other piece that's caused some of the inflationary factors are – you know, additional workplace restrictions, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, you know, think of it this way. And this is this is a good analogy that one of my clients actually told me. He says, Eddie, you know, he's a buyer for a lot of the local restaurants, right? Uh, food buyer, and he would say he would tell me uh, right at the height of 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 the pandemic, he says I ordered a hundred cases of chicken wings. I got ten, and he asked his supplier. He says, Well, you know, think of it this way. When you're manufacturing, think of chicken pluckers in, in, as an example, you're standing shoulder to shoulder. Well, when COVID hits, now we have to stand six feet apart. Yeah. Now you got capacity issues and you got productivity issues, so they're not going to be producing anywhere near as much as what used to. Absolutely. That's just one aspect of it. It's the same across manufacturing all over the place. Yeah, that's a great point. By the way, I'm not a Green Bay Packer fan, but Packers were named based on meat packing and packing the kinds of things you're talking about. And there's an article actually in today's journal, No Inflation, Simply a Greedy Corporate Conspiracy. And there, the point of the article is, to your, to your uh, fulcrum point, the article goes to talk about how meat is up, where is it? Uh, it is up uh, 12%. And, and the article explains exactly what you discussed. Your T-bone steak, you know, Three years ago, in a manufacturing plant, you might have had 500 people carving up, you know, the the rib portion of the cow, which is, by the way, on top of the cow. Uh, Now, instead of those 100 people carving it up, you might have 50 people carving it up or less. So less efficiency, less production of that T-bone. And then you couple that with transporting that to another place because it costs more for the trucker to pay for gas there's your inflation. You have less product, and then you have more cost for transportation to your grocery store. That's why, partly why, you're paying more for that that T-bone steak. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's an interesting way of beginning to further dissect these seemingly complex issues that that folks don't talk about. 
You know, I just don't hear people. And, and, and again, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, straight talk, whichever you're going to learn. But when I hear talking heads and they throw out these numbers and inflation and beats more expensive, why don't they talk about the the mechanics of why that is so? And that's why I really appreciate you being on my show frequently, because we really endeavor to let our listeners know why these things are happening in a non judgmental way. Of course, I tend to editorialize more than you, but we really try to just understand the mechanics of why your T-bone steak costs more. Well, it's right. When you when you get or you can explain something, it's not as sexy or it's not as exciting, right? You're able to break it down. Oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But, oh, inflation is up. You know, transportation, you said 33%. I mean, that's that's huge, right? You know, I mean, think about it from this perspective. A year ago, a um, year and a half ago, we were paying, you know, just about two bucks a gallon. And now the other day I paid, it was three forty. Yeah. you know, a lot more expensive. Inflation long term, though, is still relatively low, even though, right, we're paying uh, or we're seeing the highest increase in inflation since 1982. That's huge, right? But think back from, uh, from, and we talked about energy costs. I still remember in 2007, Jeff, I was traveling around and I had a big F-150 that I was driving. I still remember pay- putting gas in here in Albuquerque at $4.20. Is that, that right? Was, yeah. Wow. That was costly, right? So the fact that we're still paying at, you know, three forty today, that's still, you know, relatively speaking. The difference, not though, as bad. is we have, I, I, man, I really loathe saying we, but whoever we is, the powers that be in the oil and gas industry didn't know at that time that in southern East New Mexico, there was a colossal repository of this thing called fossil fossil resource. Yes. And we didn't we hadn't mastered fracking, which again, fracking again, people use that word all the time fracking for our listeners, because I just hate using words and assuming people understand. Fracking is when you you actually can drill down into an area and then expose it to like a lot of water, like I mean, huge uh, forces of water that further open up those areas down there underground, which then expose more uh, oil and gas. Natural and that's resources. why people that are against fracking feel that it compromises the integrity of, of land and things like that, which it, it may, maybe it does. But I still am a proponent of fracking myself. Anyway, those technologies weren't around, and neither was that colossal discovery of the Permian Basin, you know. So anyway, uh, getting back to point, the other thing I'd like you to talk about is a lot of folks have seen like Social Security, uh, Medicaid, other those others, because everybody's going to be experiencing Social Security at some point, hopefully, if we get old enough. But Social Security is increasing to a certain degree, but it only, when you factor in inflation, you're actually underwater a little bit. And then Medicaid's or Medicare, Medicaid, I always confuse the two, Medicaid also increases as well. So yeah, Medicare little, costs. Yeah, yeah, Medicare costs. Yeah. So so even though we're getting a little bit of increase in your your Social Security, talk about how the the so, inflation is going to impact that. Yeah, there, there's going to be a five point. So individuals that are receiving Social Security means that they're now going to receive a 5.9% January increase 1st. January 1st um, on their Social Security benefits. But there's also additional increases of uh, when inflation is increasing, it has an impact on everything that we pay for, right? 
healthcare costs are increasing significantly. Um, so the Medicare premiums that we're paying, those are going to end up increasing as well. So while we might get a 5.9% increase on Social Security, well, some of that is going to be offset. And if you think of it from this perspective, it's, I'm going to go back and it's about purchasing power. My dollar today, right, is not worth the same as it was a year ago. My dollar today is only worth about 94 cents or 93 cents and, and, uh, and 93, $93 and, and I'm sorry, 93 cents and 93, 93.8 cents of what it used to be. When you say used to be, because I had an economist on the show, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, don't quote me on this, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Gandelaria, that's my caveat for the day. He compared the dollar today, Christmas 2021, to the gold standard when it changed in 1971 under Nixon. That dollar today was about, was it would, would be worth 22 cents. Yeah. That, that, does that make sense? It does. So that's, so keep that in mind, folks. The dollar today, uh, or the dollar in 1971, today is worth 22 cents. Yes. So that's what we mean by devaluing the dollar, folks. Right? Now, in normal inflation is actually good for us, Jeff, because it means that we're able to increase our standard of living, right? We want normal inflation. We just don't want it triple in a year from what it used to be. That has a significant impact because if we're raising it triple, costs are increasing significantly, right? And, and, and there's a lot of discussion that's made about helping those in need. Well, when inflation is rising at almost 7%, who's it going to impact the most? Lower middle class. Lower and, middle class. And people of color in urban communities. Yeah. So... The decisions and low skill labor, low, low skill labor, and individuals that are living paycheck to paycheck, right? Yeah. Those are the ones. Well, so they might get a little bit of a raise, but guess what? More of that's still going out, and it's costing them a lot more money. Yeah, absolutely. My guest is Edwin Fernandez, CPA, PFS, also my uh, accountant. Uh, your uh, financial or your uh, contact information again. Uh, you can reach me at 505-839-0224 or efernandez at legacyfg.net. And also, if you'd like to sponsor my show, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelari, get a hold of me, uh, jeffrey at candy77, gmail.com, jeffrey, J-F-F-R-E-Y dot candy77 at gmail.com. If you'd like to be a guest, uh, get a hold of me, and we'll uh, try to position you as a guest as well. So before we move on to the American Rescue Plan and some other items of note, we got about 35 minutes left or so. Uh, someone asked me to ask you, anticipating the question about Social Security increase, it's going up January 1st. If someone gets on Social Security who hadn't been on Social Security, uh, let's say they're turning 62 and they want to you know, opt for early retirement, and they, let's say, start their Social Security on their birthday, February 1st. So that's a month and two weeks from today, something like that. Will they also participate in the increase or not? Or did someone have to already be part of Social Security to, to enjoy that increase? So the, the, um, the rates that are going to be coming out 
right? They're adjusted. So your benefits are effectively increasing, right? We've got to remember the Social Security formula, there's a formula that's, that goes into effect. It's based off of your highest 35 years of service. That's part of the calculation. There's a specific formula for that. So yeah, in a sense, it is going to be, if you're anticipating of what it used to be, if you look at your Social Security statement, uh, go to ssa.gov. Um, they're updating whatever your new benefits are actually going to be. So to be clear on that, folks, when you're looking up your anticipated Social Security, and is that a pretty accurate calculator if you go to ssa.gov? Yeah. So we recommend everyone get on and and create your own account, ssa.gov. I know I have. And my Social Security benefit, because I want to retire in June, you know, you already know that, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to do that, God willing, uh, I can, it, it, it gives me a number. I'm not going to disclose what it is on air, but that number is, let's say, $1,000, right? So then you're saying I, I can add 5% onto that $1,000? Well, those numbers that are on Social Security would have already taken into consideration all the benefits. Oh, it already did. Yeah. Even that increase. Yeah. I want to I address something that's really important, too, though, Jeff. I really highly encourage people, just like you said, go on to ssa.gov, but also check your work history. Right, it's going to show all the years that have actually been reported. We work with clients, and we're evaluating or we're reviewing their Social Security statement, and there's missing years. Right, they know that they worked, and it's it's it requires quite a bit of work, and they may have to go and get um, downloads from the IRS. Uh, um, they may have to go get old W twos, but always take a look at those to and the make reason sure that's that it's correct. Im- the reason that's important, folks, is let's say you skipped a year, you know, in 2012, 2008. If you could reintegrate that year into your formula, your Social Security monthly check will go up. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's why it's important. We have to remember, it's your highest 35 working years. Yeah. So it'll bump off uh, the your, lower, lower years. All right, folks, that's why you need a great... Uh, CPA like Eddie Fernandez, what's your contact information? 505-839-0224 or efernandez at legacyfg.net. And you are here in Albuquerque and you give people great access. Again, the the Social Security formula. So let's say folks are getting a number and, mm-hmm. and they're going to retire next year, okay? Mm-hmm. And whatever that number is that SA, SSA. SSA.gov indicates... If they do their taxes this year, does it perhaps bump off a lower year and perhaps there's an adjustment there again? Is that possible? It is. So we got to remember, it's the highest 35 years of working. So if in 2021, it's knocking off uh, uh, you know, some compensation that you earned when you were 18 years old, yes, it'll increase your benefit. Yeah. And by the way, that's your money, folks, because you paid into it over the last 40 years or whatever number of years you worked. Again, my guest is Edwin Fernandez, CPA, PFS. And these are the kinds of questions I pose to you on a regular basis. Sometimes I'll call Eddie. Hey, Eddie, I got a question, you know, and you'll call me back and answer the question. But this is why everyone really needs really a financial advisor and, and, a, and a CPA, preferably if they're both the same, you know, it, 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 uh, it, it, it can really you know, uh, facilitate, you know, those questions we all have. Yeah. A lot of my clients really appreciate the fact that, you know, I, I can handle investments. We do, we practice what's called values-based financial planning, but 
most financial advisors can't answer tax questions, and that's where what differentiates a CPA financial planner versus a regular investment advisor. So getting back to, again, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria, please tell your friends, listen to this show, 1 to 2 o'clock every Saturday on 1600 Kiva AM. I'm an Albuquerque native, and my ancestors, ancestors got here in 1610, so I'm not some carpetbag guy coming in here with an academic degree from Harvard telling you all how to live your lives. I've lived the gauntlet of what I call the New Mexico experience. Uh, so getting let's, let's transition and segue to the American Rescue Plan. We noted today the governor just signed off on, I think it was 500 some million dollars to basically again, exercise some of those funds that were approved, what, three weeks ago with the with the original, what's it called, infrastructure plan. So let's let's kind of begin to dissect the American Rescue Plan, Eddie. Yeah, so the American Rescue Plan um, was passed at $1.9 trillion. At, uh, trillion dollars, That's Jeff. a thousand billion <laughs> plus another 900, what was it, billion, I guess, right? Yeah, so it's, I mean, these are massive amounts of money. So, you know, and, and once again, it's it's these are really massive dollars. And we would break these down, right? And I'm not going to go through every single one, but $362 billion went to state and local fiscal recovery funds. This was like for the state of New Mexico, right? You're talking half a billion dollars. Um, this is to assist states that were economically impacted as a result of COVID. So think of it this way. You know how people, right? Individuals, um, married couples got stimulus money. Remember, there was yes. first there was uh, the um, six hundred, and there was twelve hundred, and there was uh, another six hundred, and then there was the fourteen hundred. More so recently, right? Yeah. yeah. This is economic stimulus to states and local governments, exactly the same way. So, if there was a big concern when um, COVID hit and revenues, right, gross receipts were down. Um, and that's a big way that the state of New Mexico makes money. Well, it was down significantly, and they had to do all kinds of cuts. The previous legislative session had passed uh, teacher raises. They had passed raises for state employees. Well, those raises never went into effect because the revenues were down significantly. Now, because of this money that came in with all the stimulus money, they're sitting flush with cash. The problem is... This is a temporary fix to our economy. That's a great point. So again, to remind our listeners, gross receipts tax or businesses have to pay a monthly tax, which I think is a pernicious tax because most states don't have a gross receipts tax. But anyway, we all know over the last two years, Chinese virus, a lot of businesses weren't operating at full capacity. So those taxes weren't being paid at the rates they were pre-COVID. So the states suffered their tax loss, if you will. So this number... 362 billion, New Mexico gets a piece of that action to recompensate for that lost tax revenue because businesses weren't operating full capacity. But to your point, that's a very ephemeral fix. That's not a, a long-term fix. So New Mexico may right now be, you know, high-fiving in Santa Fe, the donut eaters. But in two years, if we don't really recover, we're going to be in the same boat because of the lack of, of tax generated through GRT. And the concern as well, and I haven't read all of the, the, the legislation that just passed with a special session of how that's going, right? We don't want that money 
to be used for permanent types of projects. Yeah. So if we're giving raises, right, and we don't have enough resources or revenues that's coming in to pay for it long term, well, then we're still going to be in a, in a position. That is a really good point and an obvious one that we hadn't thought about. So if a teacher was making 40000 and and thanks to the raises or whatever, whether you agree with it or not, now they're making 43000 this will help that maybe the next two years. What, hap- what happens year three, year four, right? Well, we have to have enough revenue to help support that. Now, yeah, that's a great point. You know, and, and I'm not just saying it for, for teachers. It's yeah, all the anything. way across the yeah, board, right? State employees, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's money that needs to be well spent. And we, we, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of money. I yeah. mean, over the last year at the federal government, I mean, we're almost $5 trillion of additional spending. Well, eventually, this has to come out somewhere. My guest is Eddie Fernandez, CPA, PFS. He's my accountant, Legacy Financial Group, co-owner there, also a consultant with Voya, and, uh, you know, very much a good friend and colleague and somebody I really respect. And and we talk about business and economics and finance globally, but we make it very parochial, and we try to, to really understand the mechanics of why we make decisions when I consult with him. Your contact information again, Eddie. 505-839-0224 or efernandez at legacyfg.net. God, it sounded like a commercial there. <laughs> at any rate, Eddie, um, I do want to introduce something before we continue to dissect the American Rescue Plan or the infrastructure one that passed. And that's the resurfacing of student loans. It's my understanding, January 1, uh, Biden, when he's awake, when he's reading a script, he signed off on student loans now have to be repaid. That's correct. And it, isn't that going to be somewhat of an economic upheaval for certain populations in our, in our we the people, United States of America? Well, you, we got to remember, right, student loans. And what happened is in the pandemic, we were there was all kinds of money that was being thrown at just everywhere. One of the provisions was you don't have to make your student loan payments. We're going to reduce the interest rate to 0% on all federally qualified student loans. If you had your own private student loan, well, guess what? You may not have been in the same boat. Different, different matter. Yeah. Yes. But... Um, so that meant, oh, I hope a lot of people still paid their student loan because that's a great way for them to reduce down their overall debt, right? Yeah. If I'm paying 0% interest, all of that payment is going toward principal. Yeah. Um, most people didn't. And automatic payments that were being sent off got automatically turned off as well. So you had to actually go in and make sure that everything was going to continue to pay. So when we talk about higher prices, inflation is rearing its ugly head again. Well, now there's an additional payment that I have to make. So my budget, right, my monthly budget, if over the last two years I've been living off of, I'm just going to call it, say, $2,000, and now my student loan payment is an additional $200 that's going to be reinstated, well, that's another yeah. That's another percent, you know, 10% that I got to pay. Well, I think our point here is literally millions of people in various age groups have a student loan. Those loans have to be reserviced. They're they're reactivated, resurrected, and they're inescapable, right? You can't escape that. Yes. Correct? So that's a financial budgetary item that is now going to be in effect beginning in January 1. And I don't hear a lot of folks talking about that either. Yeah, it, it's... it's um, it, Student loans cannot be 
um, forgiven even in bankruptcies. That's one of the provisions. Even in bankruptcy. Even in bankruptcy. You still have to pay for those. Uh, now, there are some forgiveness programs. Sounds like having an ex-wife. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so there are some uh, provisions that are part of this stimulus package that are making loans if you're working in rural areas. Um, and these were actually even before pre-COVID. Um, but th- the loan forgiveness is now going to be non-taxable. And this is really important, right? So if I'm working in an underserved area and I have a student loan and that student loan gets forgiven, in the past, right, we've got to think of the government, the IRS, they don't let anything be forgiven, right? Anything that's forgiven, it's still taxable. Well, now, as part of this new legislation, it states that if loans are forgiven, student loans are forgiven, they're not going to be taxable. So there was this urban legend going on that Biden, in his cognitive incapacity, was going to hire an additional 5,000, 10,000 IRS agents. Was that attached to this stimulus package that passed or the other one? Or is that That was, was part that of the myth? Build Back Better oh, so program. Thank God that has not passed. Not yet. Yeah. Uh, we, we do believe that Manchin will succumb to some version of a Build Back Better. But it's not going to look like what it looked like in its present form, do you think? Uh, it, it, will, it will not. And, and I still think there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding it all together. And you and I have had a lot of conversations on this, both on the record and, and yeah. off the record. You were right. You know, I, I said at the beginning of the year that I don't think the build back the three and a half trillion dollars was not going to happen this year. And I also stated that if it doesn't happen this year, it's going to be less likely that it'll happen in 2022 because it's an election year. Now, it doesn't mean that it won't happen or a separate version of it may not happen. What we're hearing on the the House side, right, um, a lot of the what they call the progressive Cortez and Omar, yeah, those people. They have already indicated that they've given enough, right? Because this was supposed to be another couple trillion, three trillion dollars yeah. as well. So they already feel that they've given enough. And they've stated that unless it comes back in the exact same form, they're not going to um, move forward on the reconciliation process. So even Nancy Pelosi, with all her evil influence, couldn't get Cortez and Omar to support a further, in their mind, watered-down version of Build Back Better? Interesting. Yeah. That, that's what the, the, the thought is on, on everything right now or the discussion on it. Um, so it is in big trouble right now. Well, and also getting back to what you discussed, and it's a fulcrum point, and that is 2022 is an election year for Congress or many people in, in Congress and Senate. So they have to be particularly more sensitized to policies they're endorsing and be accountable to their constituencies because unlike what you see on CNN and most liberal you know media outlets about 35 40% of our states are still conservative whatever that means and folks in those states like Manchin even though he's democrat you know West Virginia still got a lot of conservative slant to it so that's why he's being particularly, in my estimation, sensitive to those constituents because they're the ones that donate to his campaign and vote. 
Well, you know, it's specifically for Mansion, right? They are a manufacturing, they are a mine producing, they are, you know, um, um, things that if the Build Back Better program were to go into place, it would have a significant job loss impact Devastate. directly to that state. Devastate coal miners who have had those jobs for three, four, five generations. And whether you like it or not, those people vote. They have a lot of influence. And again, the Build Back Better 2, which thank God hadn't passed, with all its green climate change, whatever, it would decimate coal mining, for one. Absolutely. And Virginia, last I checked, or West Virginia, is highly contingent on that industry, whether we like it or not, folks. Yeah. Straight is. talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Only on Jeffrey Candelaria do we talk in these very stark and sober ways. We're on every Saturday, 1 to 2 p.m. If you'd like to sponsor my show, email me, jeffrey.candy77 at gmail.com. Eddie Fernandez, my guest. What's your contact information, Eddie? 505-839-0224 or efernandez at legacyfg.net. 56.27 billion in assistance to individuals, families, emergency assistant, child abuse prevention, homeless, rental assistant. Uh, and then I want to come back to the direct financial. So talk about the 56 billion for assistance for uh, assistance for individuals that did pass. Right. Yeah. This is part of the uh, American Rescue Program, which did pass. Right. And so there was a lot of money that was put forward for um, Got to remember. Right. A lot of people weren't working. So they wanted to get financial assistance, um, uh, nutrition assistance. That's what really a lot of that is. People w- didn't have jobs. And so there was a lot of rental assistance. Right. There was help for homelessness. There was, uh, um, uh, you know, child abuse Prevention. So that was one of the big things that a lot of people, um, because uh, students were learning at home, right? They were not in the classroom. And so there was a big concern that child abuse was going to end up increasing. And so there's a lot of resources that went out for, for that as well. Yeah, just frustration with your kid being with you 24-7. I mean, no <laughs> offense, but I mean, you know, it does cause a little a little frustration, you know, because yeah. you're not you're not getting relief from your kid. I want to touch on this one: the sixty or sixty six hundred and fifty six point eighteen billion direct financial assistance stimulus checks, unemployment tax, PPP, and idle. So that's money that's going to be reintroduced as. No, so Finance. this happened, right? What, it happened. Just for this year. we got to remember, this was passed back in January. Okay. So these are benefits that the stimulus checks, right? That additional $1,400 that came out. Uh, unemployment extension through, and then it was supposed to go through the end of the year, but the... Um, the uh, um, the bipartisan um, infrastructure deal stopped everything at September 30th. Well, PPP got extended through June 30th, right? And then the tax credits, child, additional child tax credits, all of these things came into play um, as part of that $656 billion, right? So people on the individual side, small businesses, that's where that one really helped out Yeah, quite a bit. Again, folks, we're, we're going to begin to conclude. That actually sounds antithetical to itself, begin to conclude, but you can actually begin to conclude something. I got criticized the other day because I tend to be very direct and uh, circumspect about language, you know, Eddie? And I use the word begin to conclude. I got a criticism for that. But you can actually begin to conclude something. At any rate, the 
last 25 minutes, we've been talking about all this money, government, money. Ultimately, as somebody who understands economics, social trends, social behavior, aren't we, whether we like it or not, particularly under Biden's administration, aren't we preparing our entire population, almost at all levels, all socioeconomic levels, all ethnicities, to be more, in my view, reliant on government somehow? And isn't that philosophically an issue that that can be debated? I'm about autonomy, being sovereign, uh, espousing entrepreneurship, which, again, is antithetical to a lot of what this is. I understand government had to do what it had to do because it shut down artificially 30% of all business, which I disagreed with. But it happened. So I understand it happened. But now it seems like there's populations that crave and now assume entitlement. The government owes me my financial legacy. Yeah. And, and it can be debated, right? There's, there's two sides to this, right? We need to help out those that are less fortunate, right? And then we have the other side of, hey, are we really stifling our economic growth? We have to remember the U.S., right? When, when we think of the U.S. and the economic size and the capacity and the power of it, most people think of big businesses. What most people don't realize, the economic engine of our U.S. economy is built on small businesses. That's what drives our economy. So if we continue to have small businesses growing, then our economy is going to continue to grow. Yeah. And that's really important. I'm only discussing the philosophy of populations now being entitled and reliant on government versus being sovereign autonomous, being responsible for their own legacies, which engenders entrepreneurship. And last I checked, to your point, entrepreneurship is the thrust of small business. But what it also does in that environment, not being reliant on government, it spawns innovation. Because when you're reliant on government, it, it engenders bureaucracy, this big machine, this big institution happens. That doesn't spawn innovation. So I argue that we need to we need to get off this governmental teat and and come back to a sense of being sovereign and responsible for our own lives and legacies. And unfortunately, it is a difficult philosophy to sell because being successful on your own is hard. It is. It's not easy. Sit at home eating Cheetos, getting your government check, getting fat, watching TV all day. That's easy. But owning a business innovating, creating a technology on your own, that's hard. It's difficult for the conservatives and the small business entrepreneurs to sell and espouse that argument because it's hard to do. You're right. And here's one of the, the, the hopeful signs, right? I'm, I'm more of an optimist, right? And my wife always tells me, she goes, Eddie, you always look for the best in, in, in everything. And I really do. Um, we heard about the great workforce, like where did they go? Right, and we started talking about that early on. The great resignation. The great resignation. Right, um, we're still not at full unemployment. Right, our unemployment low uh, level is really, really low, but we're still missing a significant amount of workers. The hope is with all of this governmental assistance. Not there are going to be people that are used to what you're talking about. Right, they've grown accustomed to that lifestyle. And they're not probably not going to do things or they're going to demand higher wages with less hours. 
but there still is that additional segment of entrepreneurship. So it is my belief that we're going to continue to see economic growth, innovation of what is coming out of this. I've got some clients that are coming up with some really new and exciting things. And I disagree. I'm more cynical than you, and uh, I disagree. I don't think the innovation and the re- entrance of the workplace is going to be as robust as you suggest. I, you know, I hope you're right, but I don't think so. I, I tend to be more of a Thomas Hobbes philosopher. I think most people are boorish, nasty, lazy, and will do things always in their self-interest and seek the path of least resistance. I just do. That's my nature. Uh, straight talk on Jeffrey Candler. You're more of an optimist. But remember that number that we keep quoting Particularly on CNN, that you know the unemployment numbers only whatever. What what is it now? It's uh it's like four percent. But it doesn't factor in those those people that have stopped looking for jobs, and those that number is pretty significant. So if you factor in those people that have stopped looking for jobs, it's going to be closer to eight to nine percent. Absolutely, and. This is where the to to go to your point only on straight talk with Jeffrey Candler. (laughs) The uh, um, there are a lot of people that are still reliant on the uh, the stimulus money that's still coming directly from the government. Now, I think what you stated there is a segment of the population will that will be just like you described, but I'm more interested in what is going to help continue our economy to grow. I have clients right that are coming up with new, innovative, technological ways that may even impact COVID. It's going to impact future diseases. I mean, those are pretty exciting things. But you have to remember, again, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelari, only only on this show do you hear what I'm going to say. You are an educated guy. You are around more, relatively speaking, Albuquerque wealth. So you're skewing to and biasing toward people that have those propensities, more educated, more innovative, whatever. I grew up on South Broadway. I'm around the other side of the population. And again, I'm not judging, I'm just telling you. And most of the other side of that population is going to do the least they can to not only survive, but maybe have some sense of sustenance. Sure. But we still need those individuals, right? We need those people to work. And if you provide an opportunity for them to work, they're going to work. They're not going to strive necessarily to become their own entrepreneur. Well, Karl Marx talked about you need the proletariat. You need the workers. You need the sheep. You do. Yeah. And again, I'm not judging it, but Marx was so spot on on a lot of things that he predicted about these kinds of things the proletariat, the uprising, the class warfare. And most people think it's going to be a racial or ethnic warfare. I think if the country ends up in revolution, it's going to be economically driven, not so much ethnically driven. And Marx talked about that. Again, I don't, you know, espouse communism by any means. But I think if people should read Karl Marx just to study and understand the way he saw class warfare, class distinction. And if you read Animal Farm, it's an, it's an extremely interesting look into Karl Marx through the perspective of George Orwell in the depiction of 
uh, animals on a farm. Did you ever read Animal Farm? I did not. I'm going to oh. have to read that. Oh, it's so fascinating. You, 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 you've, you've piqued my interest. It's fascinating. <laughs> At any rate, I think we're beginning to conclude here. And again, I am using the word beginning to conclude because you can do that. Uh, contact information. 505-839-0224. E. Fernandez at LegacyFG.net. And again, I'd like to wish everyone Merry Christmas. And again, I want to thank my colleague and mentor, Eddie Aragon, for taking the time on Christmas to produce this show, to really espouse this kind of content. So Merry Christmas, Eddie. I really appreciate all that you have, what you have done, not just for me personally, but when we bring guests like you, we're really trying to bring really good, robust conversation, spirited enlightenment conversation about these topics. So we got about four minutes. Where do you want to begin to, you know, dissect the, the final thoughts on uh, on this topic called economics and finance? Yeah, you know, a, a couple of things, Jeff. I mean, we, we've we spent a significant amount of time on the American Rescue Plan, and, and we really kind of just scratched the surface on it, right? Yeah. There's, uh, it's 1.9 trillion, right? The bipartisan infrastructure uh, deal was another trillion dollars, right? And, and and we talked a lot about this on the last show that I was on, uh, uh, you know, about a month ago. 550 billion in new funds for transportation, 110 billion for roads, 166 billion for freight and passenger rail, um, 39 billion for public transit. Uh, 55 billion improving water replacement systems. So there is going to be, you're going to see a lot of construction all over the place. Now, um, the other thing, right, and since I'm a CPA and we're at the end of the year, some of the biggest things that people, a lot of the questions, hey, Eddie, what can I do right now? You know, some people may still have another paycheck. Max out your paycheck, right, to contribute to your retirement account. That's the last taxable or tax shelter for most working people. Most people, uh, you know, a lot of businesses, they have different ways that they can do things, go buy assets. We as individuals don't have that capability. Charitable contributions. There's a lot of nonprofits that have a significant amount of need. Right now, if you're single, you can deduct $300. Even if you don't itemize your deductions, that changed with last year's tax years, uh, tax changes. This year, you can deduct $600 even if you don't itemize your deductions. Yeah. Nonprofits do a lot of good work throughout the city. And so make contributions to them. Even if you don't get the full deduction, help these you know, organizations that are helping out the needy. Yeah. You know? And one of the things I learned from you as a CPA is I file individual versus married because I have a small business and I was affected, da da da. But even it's something like how you file your taxes, whether you you file as a spouse or as an individual, even though you're married, can make an extraordinarily difference in your 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 home income. As uh, as we conclude, thank you, uh, Eddie Fernandez. You are my CPA. God bless your contact information again. I just want to say Merry Christmas to everybody again, and you can reach me at 505-839-0224 or efernandez at LegacyFG.net. And thank you, Jeff. Merry Christmas. Jeffrey Candelaria. Straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria.